Hello, hello. Welcome to Cup of Taboo, where we discuss all things considered taboo. I am your host Tyler. Today, we are going to be talking about strange and interesting sexual fetishes and fantasies. I hope that you are ready for your weekly dose of strange, kinky, and bizarre, served in a cup of taboo. So this is part two of my strange and interesting sexual fetishes series. I really enjoyed making the first one, so I wanted to do a second one, which, uh, I mean, there's probably going to be a lot more because there's a lot of these things. Okay. It's so much fun to learn about these things. I mean, if you have any interesting kinks, why don't you let me know? Because I, I am fascinated by this. I think I actually went into the wrong field, to be honest. I'd, I'd love to chat about it. Please note as well that there is no judgment here, only curiosity and complete cluelessness. God, that is all. <laughs> there's not 10. I'm pretty much going, I'm focusing, I'm like deep diving into a couple of them. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> anyway, I just would like to uh, also apologize if the sound quality is a bit uh, echoey. I am moving tomorrow. Well, you know, I've been moving. But we're completely moving out tomorrow. So it's a bit empty and I'm exhausted. So I'm sorry if I sound exhausted because I am. It's just, it's been a while, you know. But I've got to get this episode out there. Got to do it. Got my wine with me to to help with the stress and to sleep. (laughs) Before I start though, I would like to point out that having kinks and fetishes is actually like super common. I think... Most people, you know, if they look deep enough, they have some or other desires that they don't want to admit. That's not to say it has to be something wild like peeing on someone. It could be as small as, you know, wanting to be spanked, choked or tied up. You know, I think a lot of people have got those curiosities, should I say, or their desires. That's exactly it, desires. As Kenneth Plummer in 1975 notably stated, in quotes, Nothing is sexual, but naming makes it so. So, I have yet to see a limit to what individuals name. Basically, what he's saying is, (laughs) if it's there, it can be fetishized. Pretty much. (laughs) And like, you know, I've been reading up so much on this kind of stuff while I was doing the research for this. There's a book that I'm busy reading. It's called, what is it called? Perv. I'm going to list it in the show notes. But he basically is like, okay, if you if there to be like an all-seeing bot that would deeply analyze every single human being on the planet, almost every single human being, you know, almost, would have something that would be considered unnatural or not normal because of the weird societal norms that have been placed on us and i think that this sort of like dates back to like when the church really took over because you know then it was like oh how dare you want to sleep with another man you know uh, if you're a man it, it was you know, like things sort of went awry and askew and i think that like now people are so ashamed 
maybe not now, people are becoming more open about it now, but in the past like 30 or so, 40 or so years, people are so ashamed of things that they enjoy that they just don't even mention it. And it's like, that's like, it's not cool, man. You just got to be yourself. You just got to be true to who you are. Obviously, if you want to murder someone, don't do that. That's not cool. But like, you know, if it's not going to hurt anyone and it, it, be open, you know, be be true to yourself. It's it's. I know it's a lot easier said than done, but like, yeah, be cool, man. Be chill. I'm going to start off with uh, first saying that there is a guy on the internet named Dr. Mark Griffiths, and his website has got a deep dive into like all of these things. If you can think about it, he's got it on there. So a lot of my stuff comes from there. A lot of it comes from other websites, and then a lot of it came from that book. Yeah, I just wanted to put that one out there. So if you are interested, I will be listing his website so that you can also go read up on stuff. So if you think you might have something and you don't even like, you don't even know it yourself yet, go go search on his site. He might actually have an explanation for you. You know, it's it's probably there. So the ones that I'm going to go into deeply today are ones that are slightly more common. Um, they're slightly more reported on or studied almost. Uh, that's not to say that there are proper scientific or psychological studies of these things done, because uh, it's still a very understudied area. But yeah, I'll go through them. So the first one I have is Europhilia. Also, I know I didn't mess that one up, but I am going to be messing up some names. Please believe these sciencey names are not my friend. <laughs> so, uh, have you ever heard of a golden shower? What about water sports? Well, yeah, both of these, I haven't heard of water sports. I've heard of Golden Shower. I'm pretty sure it's in a few songs. But these are both actually referring to urophilia, which is a paraphilia in which people are aroused by urine. Yes. Pee. Wee. That's all I can think of. So the thought or sight of either the act of urination or somebody else urinating is what turns their knobs, gets their engine roaring. So this one is uh, kind of popular. It's, it's a lot more people than you would think, interestingly enough. A couple of celebrities have actually admitted to liking golden showers. Ricky Martin. She bangs. She bangs. Oh, baby, when she moves. She moves. I think that's Ricky Martin. Uh, he apparently has mentioned it. Uh, apparently, good old Trump also has some Euro something or other. There was, I think it was called P-Gate. Was it a couple of years ago? But there was like a kind of a, a scandal where he was apparently caught on camera where he had apparently paid two prostitutes or models or something to pee on a bed. Uh, I did not read into that enough to be able to give you any information on it, but you can search P-Gate and it, it comes up. So this is that. So whether he's into it or whether he just, I don't know. And uh, then there was, just recently, I, I don't know if this can really be called anything, but the the concert the other day where the, the singer peed on the guy's head. I mean, I know she said that it's just because she really needed to pee, but I don't know, man. I feel like there was a bit of a power play there somewhere or something, but who am I to judge? Well, not judge, who am I to say? According to the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM, Europhilia is listed as a paraphilia not otherwise specified, or PNOS. So as with all paraphilia, 
in the PNOS category, diagnosis is only made if the behavior, sexual urges, or fantasies cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Fantasies, behaviors, or objects are paraphilic only when they lead to clinically significant distress or impairment, e.g. are obligatory, result in sexual dysfunction, require participation of non-consenting individuals, lead to legal complications, interfere with social relationships. So in other words, you could be a europhiliac in that you like peeing on people or you like to watch people pee on people, but it will only be clinically diagnosed if it is causing distress or if there are non-consenting parties. So most urophiles, urophiliacs, derive sexual pleasure from urinating on and or being urinated on by another person, but some may also bathe in urine and they also enjoy smelling people in urine-soaked clothing and or engage in urophagia, which is the drinking of the urine which is typically done when somebody pees directly in their mouth. Just to note that not all, not necessarily all urophagiacs are sexually aroused by the consumption of urine. Some people just drink pee for reasons, but if you're a urophiliac, then it brings you sexual pleasure or turns you on. So, yeah, there's that. I mean, I'm, I say because the thought of drinking pee just kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. Um, and so does the, the smell of pee for me. Like I say, no judgment. You do you, boo. But uh, for me, it's a no. It's a big fat no. I am not a fan. I, once in primary school, we were sitting in the hall. It was assembly or something. I don't remember what it was. But there was a, one of my friends next to me... Uh, I'm not going to say her name, I do remember it, but I'm not going to say her name, but shame. She was sitting next to me and we were like sitting in our little blue school dresses, you know, the typical primary school dresses. I think they were like in grade three, man, we were very little. And the next thing, I just remember feeling like warmth on my ankles because we had the white socks and then obviously bare legs and the short little blue dress. And I remember feeling like warmth by my ankle and then suddenly I just smelled the smell of wee and I was like what the hell and I looked and she had peed herself because she was too scared to get up during assembly to go and have a wee but anyway that smell will stick with me forever I can't ever forget that and like that was a long time ago it has scarred me in my in my little adolescent brain in my formative years I'm assuming I don't know when the formative years actually are but you know from then I'm like grossed out by pee so there's that. You probably not, you know too much about me. Sorry. So, uh, according to the interwebs, urine can have different functions for urophiliacs. So that being that it could be seen as a fetishist, fetishistic object. It could be used to humiliate or be humiliated. Or it could be used in capturing the spirit of a sexual partner. I did not fully understand that last one but it is what it is the thing is that often the act of urophilia is involved with some level of bdsm which i'm going to get into just now uh, so it is somewhat involved with that so they say there that it could also there are certain things that where it is called uromasochism and urosadism but i'm going to get deeply into the masochism and sadism just now but 
basically they say that it could be like a power play, a power move, the whole peeing thing, uh, you know, giving up, that, that sort of stuff. Does that make sense? That didn't make any sense because there were no words, but I'll, I'll get into it. An interesting snippet from Professor John, John Money's book called Love and Sickness, the Science of Sex, Gender Difference and Pair Bonding goes as so. Some years ago, when I visited the Yerkes Primate Laboratory in Atlanta, how, I asked, did a wild chimpanzee mother keep its baby clean from soiling? The answer was that, as in many other species, she licks it clean. Among the people of Bali in Indonesia, small dogs lick their babies clean. The dog's assigned duty is to provide diaper service by licking clean the baby, and the mother whenever the baby soils. Subsequently, I have learned that Eskimo mothers once had a custom of licking their babies clean. Even though human primates have graduated from using the mother's snout end to keep the baby's tail and end clean, it is safe to assume that as a species, we still possess in the brain of the same phyletic circuitry for infant hygiene as do the subhuman primates. primates. Just as males and females have nipples, so also do both sexes have these brain pathways that relate to drinking urine and eating feces. These are the pathways that, when they become associated with neighboring erotic sexual pathways, produce urophilia and coprophilia as paraphilias. Which is so interesting. Like, he's saying that basically the apes lick their babies to clean their wee and poop. And then he's saying that some in some um, not as civilized civilizations like Eskimos, it's also been seen that mothers do the same. And the, he's saying that when these little pathways in the brain, that's obviously, the, he, he's saying that the, the pathways are now in us dormant, but if they become crossed with the erotic pathways, that's when you get urophiliacs and coprophiliacs. But like I said, there's not much studies done on this, so it's like, it's just an interesting theory and an interesting way of looking at it. So an, another interesting theory is that forced retention of bodily waste in children could result in somebody turning into a urophiliac. So they said there that if as a child you were forced to hold in your wee and you became like very uncomfortable, you know that feeling where you just can't go to the toilet because you're like in the middle of something and it's like, ah, it's painful. Uh, in a lot of schools, you know, you have to ask for permission to go to the toilet. I mean, what's up with that? But anyway, some teachers, I remember like power plays were like, no. So then you would have to sit there and hold it in, which is just like cruelty. But anyway, so they say that uh, they found a high linkage with people who were forced to hold in their wee as kids who have turned out being aroused by urine. Because some kids found that if they touched themselves, you know, masturbated almost, that would help relieve the pain of the, the full bladder. So they, in their little minds, associated we with pleasure which is very interesting so there you go golden showers fascinating stuff i prefer normal showers but you know what you do you like i said i'm not i'm not judging i just uh it's not for me hey so the next one i'm gonna go into is called coprophilia which is uh the same thing but with poop <laughs> yep feces we're gonna we're gonna go there we're going we're going into the shitstorm hope you're ready for it <laughs> So this is the paraphilia where people get sexual pleasure from feces. This usually comes from watching someone take a dump on somebody else or by 
taking a dump on somebody else and or in some cases which is apparently quite rare is being turned on by being pooped on that's apparently the the rarer of the bunch most coprophiliacs prefer to watch or do they don't necessarily want it on them so this is also apparently quite a rare one by rare i mean there isn't a lot of research but yeah apparently it is shown in quite a lot of japanese porn specifically which is very interesting coprophagia is the ingestion of feces so some people are also interested in eating uh the the turd nuggets Ugh. which again i just i can't but anyway i if in fact i once was quite like curious <laughs> so i was like okay I think I had been so sick the night before and I was vomiting and I was like okay vomit tastes like ass and I was like but surely poo will taste similar right it doesn't smell the same but it, it would probably taste kind of similar to what vomit tastes like that was my, my reasoning was like sure the vomit is coming straight from your stomach so it's like full of all the acids which is why it's got that sour taste and once it's turned into poop it's got the it's got the it, it, it's been absorbed and whatnot you know the rest of the stuff but so <laughs> i googled it <laughs> i had the things i regret googling i found a woman who she was a slave in a bdsm relationship and she was told that she was human toilet paper so she was she had to lick up her partner's butt after he had taken dumps and she kind of confirmed my theories if any of you know and if any of you differ she said it was similar to vomit not the same but similar to which is disgusting and i had to know it now you guys have to know it and i'm so sorry it is also listed on the dsm pnos uh which means that it won't be clinically uh, diagnosed unless it's causing actual harm and a psychologist named dr tamara penix of eastern michigan university says that there is no data or are no data indicating su successful treatment of coprophilia so, I mean, but then again, like I said, it's very difficult to actually get diagnosed with a coprophilia problem to be able to be treated. Does that make sense? So traditionally, actually, it's been uh, characterized as a or considered a characteristic of schizophrenia, which is also very interesting. So in the Perv book that I'm reading, the guy who writes it is very funny. But he writes there that the human brain is almost wired to switch, to, to numb things when it is in a state of arousal, which sort of leads to continued mating, you know, to repopulate. And he said there that in terms of if you, what, what, the, what would normally turn you off, what would normally be absolutely disgusting to you when you're in a state of sexual arousal, your brain is kind of numbed to it. So it's like what you normally wouldn't put in your mouth. If you're slightly like turned on, you're going to be like, hey, actually, it's fine. It's totally okay. Which explains in his words that, you know, for coprophiles, for a lot of people, the idea of poop stinks. You don't want to be near it. And you don't want to look at it. You don't want to touch it. You don't want to smell it specifically. And the olfactory system is the most sensitive when it comes to arousal. And he was saying that it's for coprophiles they're they pretty much totally okay with the idea of, like their their bodies have completely numbed that section like they they don't get that gag reflex because for a lot of people even no matter how turned on they are 
generally a bad smell will be like, actually, we shouldn't do this. I don't want to do this anymore kind of thing. It's an interesting thing. Very interesting book. You should read it. Apparently, Hitler was a coprophiliac as well as a sadomasochist. So he apparently, uh, or a masochist, should I say, he, he liked to be slapped around and belittled. Um, I don't know how true that is, but I did read it suddenly, so I spread what I read, which is not necessarily a good thing. Next up, I'm going to be talking about just a very brief discussion of BDSM. I am by no means a pro. I am by no means, I am clueless, let me put it this way, but through a lot of reading and a lot of TikToks, <laughs> yeah. TikTok has taught me a lot. Let me tell you that much. But through a lot of reading, I have found that it is actually very common to fall somewhere on the spectrum in the BDSM range, if that makes sense. It is a very popular kink, but it has many subcategories. <laughs> Excuse the pun. But the entire basis of BDSM is power exchange. So the four letters of BDSM encompass three categories, which is bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and sadism and masochism. So the first one, bondage and discipline, it's, it's, I'm not going to go too deeply into all of them because I won't have enough time, but bondage and discipline is basically exactly what it says, bondage and discipline. So you have somebody who enjoys the lack of control and power by being Bound, somebody who enjoys binding and then obviously in terms of the discipline side it's the same thing there's lots of different like I said subcategories so you've got all sorts of things <laughs> I'm gonna have to do an entire episode on these kinds of things which I really want to do and I would love to chat to somebody who's actually in the community who knows more than I do because like I said I'm clueless I am I am I am completely clueless completely but next up, I have got here dominance and submission, which I think is what most people think of when they think of BDSM. They think of master slave, daddy, little girl. You, that's what you think of. You think of somebody in a power role, somebody in a submissive role. And that's pretty much, I think, the most commonly known uh, ideas when people think of BDSM who don't know anything about BDSM. And it, that sort of, I think, is also the main thing. There's always like the one and the other. Does that make sense? Ba -ba, power exchange. So the last one that is here is sadism and masochism, which are the two that I'm sort of going to get a little bit deeper into because they're interesting. So sadism, so sexual sadism, sorry, I should say, is defined as the act of obtaining sexual arousal through the giving of physical or psychological pain. So... There is a distinction between a sadist and a sexual sadist, apparently. From what I could tell, a lot of the sites that I was looking on, trying to get the actual um, meanings of, it's mostly just sort of lumped under sadism. But it, it can be a little bit scary in that it's not necessarily just a sexual thing. Some people just like causing other people pain and they enjoy hurting other people just because it gives them that power trip and those people sometimes end up to be murderers so there's that but it's a very difficult thing to label sexually sadistic behavior because then there's like some people that like to like get spanks or little bites or you know small little things like that 
where it's not necessarily painful, but it is, it's still administering mild pain, but I don't think that that really necessarily puts you on the full-on sadist spectrum. Does that make sense? I think that, uh, like everything, it's a spectrum. But the psychiatrist Richard von Kraft Ebbing is often credited with introducing the, the term sadism in his 1886 sexology book, Psychopathia Sexualis, which I mentioned in the last episode, deriving the name from the Marquis de Sade, whose French novels often featured such behavior. Despite the increase in knowledge of and theorizing about sexual sadism, the psychopathology of the behavior is still uncertain, and all-encompassing theory of the etiology of sexual sadism has yet to be developed and empirically tested. Then there's also something called sexual sadism disorder, which is associated with antisocial personality disorder. This is often with non-consenting victims, and the suffering of the victim is what excites the sadist. So now this is another big thing about BDSM, consent and trust. The entire BDSM community is built on trust and consent and you know often it's misconstrued that it's like forcing people into things and it's not. It's very much communication based, trust based and consent based. So if you've got this disorder which is associated with antisocial personality disorder then that often involves a non-consenting victim and yeah, what actually excites the sadist is the suffering. So it's not even like, it's not a good time for the other person at all. Apparently it is likely that a person is going to have had sadistic fantasies from childhood and also somewhat likely that sexual sadists were abused as children. That is what one study found, but as I said earlier, there have not been enough studies on this stuff. They, they, and it's very difficult to do studies on this stuff because it is often just questionnaires or case studies which can be skewed. So, uh, and by that I mean some people won't answer correctly or they won't answer truthfully. And some people, you know, you might just be interviewing an entire group of people that are or are not a certain way. You know what I'm saying? So it's very, very difficult to like actually gauge these things how they're supposed to be. It does present itself in 95% men over the cases that have been studied worldwide and it is still rare so they only found in clinic like clinically they only found in one to two percent of the american population a sadistic a sexual sadistic paraphilia so there is no universally accepted cause or theory explaining the origin of sexual sadism but scientists and researchers theorize that it, it is biological in nature from something to do with the actual hardware of the human being, whether it is brain injuries, mental disorders, schizophrenia, imbalances in the brain. That's what they believe actually causes people to be sadists. Like I said, there's not a lot of studies on it, but it is very interesting. And I actually, I am going to go deeper into this because, like I said, I've been moving. So this is a very brief overview, guys. <laughs> And I don't wanna I don't wanna leave you hanging, you know? But I'm gonna give you the brief overview. If you enjoy it, let me know. And I'll I'll dig deeper in the next one if you want me to. The next one is masochism. So masochism is the opposite of sadism, or it's the opposite side of the coin, should I say. And this is the this is defined as when the individual experiences recurrent, intense, sexually arousing fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors involving the act of being humiliated, beaten, bound, or otherwise made to suffer. So they enjoy pain, whether it's physical or psychological. Must be said for sadism, it can also be psycholo uh, psychological pain as well. 
So sexual masochism is apparently more common than sadism. In a study by Dr. Claude Crepeau and Marcel Cotor, it was reported that 46% of men had sexual fantasies of being kidnapped and raped by a woman, 12% had fantasies of being humiliated, and 36% fantasized about being bound and sexually stimulated. But research certainly indicates that consensual sexual masochistic behavior by females can occur, and some authors argue that there is a biologically based tendency towards submissiveness in females. So they're like, ah, is it actually a part of this? Is it part of the biology, biology or is it part of the, you know, psyche? Is it a hardware or a software thing, this? Like I said, hardly any studies have gone into it, but basically with masochism, these people get turned on by the idea, or not by the idea, by the actual act of being hurt physically or psychologically, whether that is being whipped or cut even. Some people in, it involve knives, which gives me anxiety. Being humiliated to the point like where I would probably cry like a baby, like told, you know, there's that uh, degradation factor in it. That's also a big thing. And yeah, so obviously I think that everyone is different. Like I said, you do you boo. But it's it's a psych- psychological thing where you want to be degraded. You That turns you on. And I have no idea where that could come from. And I didn't find any, any reputable things anyway of, you know, as far as my research can take me, which is not very far apparently. I'll try to find a book. That's what I'll try to do. I'll find a book on this and I'll read it. And I'll give you guys a summary. How does that sound? Yeah, I think that's lecker. So moving on from that, I will be moving on to the next one. (laughs) Men, this is a warning. This one might make you cringe a little bit. This is called tamakeri or ball bashing. This is a thing. And it is mostly found in Japanese pornography. It is considered a form of masochism. Oh, it's called ball busting. Sorry, not ball bashing. Same thing. Tamekiri. It's got a much better ring to it. It can be dangerous. There can be eruptions. There can be bursting. It's it's a dangerous thing to do. And again, it sounds scary. Often in, in the porn, in the tamekiri porn, it is an attractive dominant female that is hurting a submissive male's genitalia. So that could be kicking the balls or it could be standing on the balls with her heels pulling very hard squeezing very hard it's it's a whole range of things and it's it sounds very painful but people who are who have the paraphilia of being kicked in the balls or who have the tamakiri paraphilia or kink or fetish whatever they it, it could be it's generally like the you know the, the actual the that gets them going it's the actual pain of it it's often in the porn at least followed by sex so somehow these superhumans after having their most sensitive parts beaten and injured they still get up and they still do it I don't understand I'll stub my toe and not be able to walk for a week you know what I'm saying I don't understand. There is some interesting things, um, uh, theories, if you will, where some say that this could also be an interesting form 
of control and power from the men's side over the woman because the man is telling her exactly what he like where he wants to be hurt how he must she must do it and then she must do it and they say that this is like a weird form of control and power over the woman because they also say that there is a lot more willing kickies than kickers out there in the porno world of Tamakiri so there's a lot more people who are willing to be kicked than to kick if someone had to pay me bucks to like kick somebody else in the balls I would not do it no well, it depends how much but I would generally probably not do it because I feel bad and we've been programmed not to injure the place where you know offspring come from I think that's also like another biological thing that's built into us you know that that's where the baby the baby gravy comes from so you don't hurt it because you have to reproduce one day I think it's a biological thing I'm going with that you know what it's a new study I'm coming up with it it's probably already a study that I don't know anything about <laughs> so next up I've got one that I'm gonna not be able to say this one is called knismalagnia which is arousal by tickling it could also be called titilagnia the word knismalagnia I feel like the K is silent knismalagnia no okay knismalagnia the word comes from the word knismesis which means light so which generally means that the type of tickling normally doesn't make the other party go into a violent rage so heavy tickling is called gargalysis which is generally hard pressure which causes violent like the other person to see red laugh generally sometimes or just punch wildly um, but the light tickling is supposedly the one that is the one that is part of this kink so some people can actually orgasm just from tickling alone they don't even need to be near or on any of like the erogenous zones that they need to be tickled on somebody can just come on like come there tickle them and they can get off it's just the act of tickling and some people can even get off by watching other people get tickled interesting right so sometimes a feather can be used or pretty much anything so it's generally nails a feather whatever string I don't know whatever you can use to tickle somebody lightly with that is what people use and it is also again something that is quite heavily used in a bondage situation where the person the tickle is tied up and they can't do anything and the other one tickles them and then you know they do their thing so it often gets people off simply because they are aroused by the physical sensation so it could also just be used for teasing and it also engages our body's largest organ the skin which is why they think this is actually a you know a paraphilia and why some people really they get off on it because it, like i said the skin is our largest organ it's full of nerve endings everywhere I suppose some people just have more nerve endings i don't know but if you're watching people get tickled and then you still get that like, get off it's like okay cool 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 there's there's something in the brain there too as well in dumb sub scenarios the ticklers may enjoy the feeling of control and the ability to make the tickled or the tickly squirm and you know they might not you know they can't they can't get out oh well they can't get away from the tickle because generally when somebody's being tickled they it's like 
it's very difficult. And then the tikli may enjoy the feeling of helplessness. So often restraints and blindfolds are used as well to enhance the power the powerless element. So for some submissives, especially those who do not like being tickled or who are tickle averse, this might even, you know, the torture aspect of it is what actually gets them all hot and bothered because they're like, oh yes, I'm being tortured. I hate being tickled because it tickles, but it's torture and therefore sexy. So, I mean, I get violent if anyone comes near me with an even like an, even a, a small glimmer in the eye that says they're going to tickle me, I will punch you in the nose. I, I would do not. Do not do it. Not worth it. Not even once. So next up, I've got one which is another very interesting one in, in my opinion. It's called, oh no, Mascalagnia, which is also known as armpit fetishism. This is an attraction to armpits that can be based on a number of things. The most common thing that attracts people to armpits is the smell and the sight. Just think about that for a second. Have you ever, I mean, if, if you have a brother, he's probably been like, hey, but smell this, and then forced you under his arm, which causes you to gag. I mean, thank you, brother. I, I don't like armpits. I think, once again, this is part of my childhood coming up to haunt me, but yeah, it's, it's, it's many people are turned on by the smell and sight of armpits, which is interesting. They do say, so there was a study that was done, that it could have something to do with the fact that it somewhat re resembles a uh, female genitalia. It, it fits an appendage quite nicely, apparently. And um, <laughs> I'm busy like, doing stuff to my armpit. And they say that when it was the height of gonorrhea and all the STDs, they found a new place to put it, which was the armpit, because there was no danger of getting an STD in the armpit, and it felt nice for the men. And yeah, that was that was what they did. So yeah, that is, the, the act of armpit sex is called axillism, or it is more colloquially known as bagpiping. <laughs> That's amazing. That, that was that was the, that was all I could find in that, but that that one made me laugh, and I enjoyed that one. There was also another interesting study about the pheromones that people let off. So the smell of them, your smell, your scent. Apparently, as somebody who is related to somebody else. So if you are related to somebody, their scent is like a big fat no no. It's like, it, it'll make you gag. Like I said, you just want to... But, so the more ge genetically diverse somebody is from somebody else, the more they are attracted to their scent. So if you find yourself like sniffing someone and being like, mm, yeah, baby, it could be because you guys are very gen genetically diverse. And that's interesting to me because it's, it's, it's almost like a mechanism that our bodies somehow developed to try and stop inbreeding, I think. Just a, it's so cool. So next up, I've got catoptronophilia. I think I said that right. Which is the sexual paraphilia defined as sexual pleasure and arousal from having sex in front of mirrors. The Greek word for mirror is catoptron, which is where the name comes from. Oh, sorry, I've got such an itchy nose. The hay fever is strong. This may include masturbating in front of mirrors, sex in front of mirrors, and so on. Some people, they've got mirrors all over their rooms, on the roof, 
ding, ding, ding. There you have it. This is possibly a mild indicator of narcissism because a lot of catoptrinophiles only watch themselves. So it's not about seeing the whole thing. It's about looking at themselves and they get turned on by themselves in the mirror. It's different to oh, what's called auto something, Ophelia, which is being turned on by yourself. But this is actually the fact that there's a mirror there and you can like watch yourself and that's like, yeah, baby, you got this. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's narcissistic. It's just they, they did mention it, that it could have something to do with a mild, a little bit of narcissism. So in the film American Psycho, there is a scene in which Patrick Bateman, uh, what's his name? Why can't I think of his name? You know who I'm talking about. He admires himself in the mirror while he's busy banging to escort girls. So one of whom tries to get his attention and he doesn't care because he's just busy watching himself go to town. So that's sort of demonstrating catoptronophilia. So, oh, autosexual is being turned on by herself. Sorry. <laughs> Got it. So theory suggests that catoptronophilia is fed from a basal narcissistic instinct uh, which is a combination of narcissism and degradation and a feeling of overpowering dominance. So it's like watching a live porno of yourself. The most advanced stage of voyeur there is. And in today's day and age, technology is only expanding this. So technically it's not in front of a mirror, but if you have got a camera going and you watch it afterwards, it's kind of like it's very similar and it could sort of be the same thing. And if that gets you off, you have a little bit of catoptronophilia. Maybe just a little bit. It's a thing and it's fine. So the, the last one that I'm going to go deeply into is called... <sighs> Why is it the longest one? Autosassinophilia. Autosassinophilia. There you go. The last one I'm going to talk about is autosassinophilia, which is... A paraphilia where an individual derives sexual pleasure and arousal by the thought and or risk of being killed. The paraphilia may on occasion overlap with other paraphilias such as autoerotic asphyxiation, which is being strangled or suffocated, where there is a risk to their life. So in some instances, the autosis... Why is this word so hard? Autosassinophile may also derive sexual pleasure and arousal from planning their own death. So it's like the idea that the, the getting ready for it is what gets them going. So, yeah, so it's not the, it's not the, the actual death part. It's the thought of dying that gets them off. It is very rare, but also very dangerous. The autosassinophiliac wow, is more interested in his orgasm than in his death, resulting in a compulsion to stage manage the possibility rather than the actuality of his end at the hands of another. Whereas there is something called erotophonophiliac, which is somebody who wants, who gets turned on by the thought of killing somebody, of murdering someone, they, in their case, it is driven by the actualization of the other's death. And crucially, the other must be unaware of the killer's intentions. So, it makes it very difficult because for the autosassinophiliac, 
they it's not the actual death that he's more interested or that they are more interested in it is they have to actually like they've got to plan things very properly so that they do not actually die whereas for the erotophonophiliac like the actual death is what gets them off so a Sharon Lapotka and Robert Glass was a very uh, it's a it's a case that happened she was strangled and killed consensually by Glass who she met online at an extreme fantasy website so this was in 1996 they exchanged many emails and the emails were found after she was found dead where they were fantasizing about they planned well she planned her own murder essentially and that was that's what happened then in the previous uh, sexual fantasies episode that i did i spoke about armin Maywas and jurgen brandis who was the cannibalism couple uh, the Vorarara that one. <laughs> they are technically also, uh, so the victim was an autosassinophile because he wanted to, and he also wanted to an auto cannibal or whatever. So that was an interesting case as well. So there are cases of people who have actually gone through with these things and it's, it just feels like a very final thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, for mirrors, mirrors will always be there. This is like, okay, I might die. And then it's like that one time. Is it, was it worth it? Did she twerk it? Did she put her thing down, flip it and reverse it? I don't think so. But again, it's a thing. So yeah, that is that one, which I'm not going to say again because I say it wrong every single time. And it's really a long word and it's uh, it's very hard. There's lots of A's and S's. I just, the it's auto assassin. I know that it's those two words put together. Autosassinophile, autosassinophilia is the last one that I'm going to go deeply into. And then just some that I found that were interesting that have absolutely no research on them, but they have been listed on sites, which means that there is one, at least, at least one person that has mentioned it. Um, and generally when there is one, there is not, there is not just one, there is others. So the next one is called Climacophilia, which is the Turn, being turned on by falling down the stairs where apparently people can reach orgasm by falling down the stairs they also get turned on by watching other people fall down the stairs interesting the next one is anastemophilia which is being attracted to or turned on by extreme stature so that's either some that like being turned on by incredibly tall people or incredibly short people and I think that a lot more people have this one than they want to admit but like I said not much in, like information on that one. The next one is chasmophilia or chasmophilia, which is being turned on by caves and caverns and the, the, the tight, you know, mystical vibes of them. That sort of gets you going. And then the last one, which I'm sure is a joke. This has to be a joke. But it was there and I just wanted to mention it because it's funny. Yeastiality. <laughs> which is being turned on by dough. Bread dough. And actually having sex with dough. <laughs> I hope it's a joke. Although I wouldn't be surprised. People will put their bits into anything. And they'll go for it. So there's those. But yeah, that brings me to the end of this episode. I, I hope that you enjoyed learning about the, you know, strange and interesting fetishes that there are. And there will always be. And I, you know, I hope people just come to terms with the, like, the things that they're into and... 
you know, I hope that everyone finds somebody that likes the things that they like. And if you don't have kinks and fetishes, that's fine too. Don't try and force it. Be vanilla. It's cool. Vanilla is a flavor and lots of people like it. That is that. I hope you learned something. If you want to tell me something, I want to learn. If I spread misinformation, tune me. Tell me that I was wrong. Because you know from first-hand experience, that would be great. If you want a phone, well, if you want to have a Skype and you teach me about things, I would freaking love that. That would be the most interesting thing to me. But yeah, thank you for listening to Cup of Taboo. I really appreciate it. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review me on Apple Podcasts and be sure to come back next week. I'm going to be talking about a cult. I'm not going to tell you which cult, but it's interesting. Very interesting. Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't wait to get into it. It's just rough. So rough. So good though. Not good. Like it's just so, so juicy. I'm so excited. If you want to get in contact, follow me on Instagram at cupoftaboo underscore podcast. On Facebook, it is just cupoftaboo. On Twitter, it is cupoftaboo. And if you want to email me any ideas or any fetishes or whatever, it is cupoftaboo at gmail.com. And that is all. So I uh, hope you have a good week. Uh, I'm going to finish my wine and get packing. Okay, ciao.